CloudPod, where the forecast is always cloudy. We talk weekly about all things AWS, Google, and Azure. We are your hosts, Justin, Jonathan, and Peter. Episode 52, recorded on December 19th, 2019. Google to kill the cloud pod if it's not the number one podcast by 2023. Boo. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, guys? Uh, by the way, did either of you see the, uh, the amazing new newsletter that went out on Monday? I did not. It's a, it's a trick question because I know you're both not subscribed. Uh, but if you were subscribed, <laughs> you would have been uh, amazed at our amazing new show notes uh, that are now being sent out to you via email on Monday mornings to recap whatever the last episode of the show was. And uh, if you subscribe today uh, on recording day, uh, you can get that next week when it ships on Monday. So uh, definitely something new to check out. Uh, if you don't want to wait for the newsletter awesomeness and you want to li- read our show notes uh, when we drop the show, uh, you can do that as well whenever the show uh, in your podcast player of choice or go to the website and read our fantastic show notes uh, brought to us by our friends over at Podreacher uh, who are doing a great job. So super excited about them. Uh, they look great. Yeah. Yeah, it's excellent. Much better than I would ever have done or have the time to do so. I, uh, the power of outsourcing as you uh, get bigger as a podcast is at play. Yes. <laughs> and I'll eventually convince Jonathan one day to outsource the editing. But maybe. Maybe. Something. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I like having him in there. I like having a little. I, I do sort of like having him there because he, he does keep us honest. And Although I, I did have a, I was reading to, listening to the show on the way home tonight. And I, there's a section where I was reading the article out loud that I was trying to find the information someone had asked and he didn't cut that out. So I was, I was like, all right, well. I'll just go with it. That's <laughs> uh, a natural feel. <laughs> it did feel a little natural. It was fine. Don't don't piss off the editor. That's what I've learned. Well, anyways, uh, it's almost Christmas time. So uh, this is our last episode of uh, 2019 because uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break because Christmas falls right on top of our recording days. And so, uh, you know, we'll talk to you guys again in January. But uh, yeah, it's been a, been a fun year. It's been a roller coaster. Yep. I've just, today was my last day at work for two weeks. So, oh, I'm so jealous. Uh, Who approved that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the benefits of being an individual contributor. Yes. yes. There you go. The advantage versus management where I'll be working through the whole holidays. Uh, although I actually, people keep asking, like, where are you going for the holidays? And I'm like, no, no, this is the best two weeks ever to work. Because, number one, the traffic is non-existent. So it's, it's like a 20-minute commute to the office versus the normal hour it takes me. And then I can get all kinds of stuff done that I don't normally get done. Like last year, I actually learned... Uh, a little bit of GoLang programming because I had the free time. Uh, Sweet. So you know you can get all kinds of stuff done during the Christmas break if you uh, decide not to go lay on a beach. So yeah, it's like working either at ten o'clock at night or five in the morning without being tired to do it. Well, there's been some news since uh, reInvent. Let's uh, start out with the Jedi contract. Lots of uh, interesting things have been happening in that world uh, since we last recorded general news. The analysts think that there are questions over whether Microsoft can uh, deliver on Jedi at all. According to at least one official in the DoD, Microsoft won that Jedi deal without the capabilities to deliver on the contract. Uh, Jassy, in many of his interviews during reInvent and post-reInvent, has said that he believes a significant amount of political interference was involved, including pointing to previous wins at the CIA as evidence that they can meet the government's requirements. And then there's growing evidence that maybe Microsoft is slowly gaining some market share at Amazon's expense. But uh, you know, Jonathan and I kind of talked, we don't think that's necessarily the case, but... Overall, it's very interesting. Uh, Jassy was also quoted to say, uh, if you do a truly objective and detailed apples-to-apples comparison of the platforms, you don't end up in the spot where that decision was made to go Azure. So, uh, <laughs> very, very interesting. Lots of news here. We've linked to several articles uh, in regards to this. The headline from the Register, though, is my favorite. Trump photon torpedoed our 10 billion Jedi <laughs> dream because he hates CEO Jeff Bezos. Uh, <laughs> tell it like it is. Tell it like it is, the Register. I always <laughs> love that. 
Uh, and actually, Amazon actually called out the item that we always talked about here, which was the really weird recusal by uh, Secretary Esper, uh, where uh, you know we said it was a little weird that he recused himself. And then a week later, they announced the deal, and Amazon calls this whole process another unprecedented and bizarre attempt to rewrite the factual record and usually a process tainted by the president's intervention. Excellent. Yeah, there's the one thing I struggle with is they don't like Jesse. I didn't see anywhere where he actually mentioned the specific things that Microsoft couldn't deliver on. Um, I understand that he believes that his platform would win in an apples to apples comparison, but there's a difference between being the best um, for the job and being able to do it at all. And so I'm, uh, so if you, you should, yeah. did you read the 103-page appeal that Amazon wrote uh, to the DOD about the poor evaluation decisions, as well as points out Trump's uh, interfered? Because in the 103-page appeal, there are several examples. That they oh, point out. where? Well, no, I did uh, not do that. I'm, I'm reading a page every night, right before bed. <laughs> <laughs> Puts you right I to mean, sleep. <laughs> yeah, then I'm mad at uh, the, uh, the editor who wrote that article and didn't include one of those examples. Well, yeah, I, we'll talk about fun article writing a little bit here. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but uh, moving on from uh, Jedi, but, you know that that battle will continue into well into 2020. So we'll continue to keep you updated on the Jedi contract for those of you. Right before reInvent, uh, Larry and Sergey announced that they are uh, leaving as CEOs of Alphabet and leaving it to uh, Sundar Pichai's uh, good leadership. So now there will be one CEO um, over both the Alphabet and Google company. Kind of going back to the uh, the old way it used to be, just with a, a new corporate entity in place. I suspect this is because they're a little bit less concerned about uh, monopoly threats uh, that they were worried about when they did that initially. So that's a interesting change. Uh, I don't think it really changes a lot day to day for Google Cloud. I don't think it changes a lot for Alphabet and what they're doing. But uh, it does end the mark of an era with Larry and Sergey kind of moving on to greener pastures elsewhere. Good for them. I don't know how they stick around for so long as it is. That must be exhausting. Uh, yeah. I, I, I just look at all the zeros in my bank account and be like, why am I here? Yeah. <laughs> that too. Where are they going to retire to? That's the question. Eh, you know, maybe they'll buy that island from Larry Ellison in Hawaii. <laughs> I think Mark Zuckerberg's too close to that. <laughs> uh, well, Larry has announced that uh, Saffercats will now be the sole CEO of Oracle. This was also announced during the earnings call where revenues were up uh, 1% from the same quarter last year, but uh, overall revenues uh, or profits on those items were down quite a bit uh, with the stock dropping in after hours at 3%. And then the stock has been trending downward ever since uh, that was announced. Uh, and basically, apparently, without NetSuite, uh, the company would be actually be shrinking. So the NetSuite acquisition was a, a good move by Larry and team to get that in the door before their other growth started to slow down. So uh, Oracle's not a good place right now, you guys. Yeah, I'm not uh, not surprised that that's happening. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. Me either. Uh, yeah, cloud and on-premise licenses uh, were down $1.13 billion or 7% from the same quarter a year ago. I wonder so, how much of that is uh, Amazon turning off their Oracle databases. <laughs> <laughs> I hope for, I hope Amazon wasn't paying $1.13 billion. <laughs> well, I'd really like to know what of, of that $1.13 billion, um, what percent of that is from new workloads and not re-upping or growing existing workloads that are on the platform? Almost zero. It's got to be close to zero. Yeah. It, it, I, just, I don't think I've heard of anybody recently going to a new Oracle database solution being excited about it. Yeah. Might be a, might be a rough 2020 for Larry. We'll see. Well, moving on to uh, Amazon news. Oh, sorry. Yes, I That's okay. No, I was just going to say, speaking of someone who I'm shocked hasn't retired. Yeah, you should have retired a long time ago. On to Amazon news. Uh, so the most important story of the entire week uh, to me, and only me, is that the Seattle Seahawks, which is my team, 
uh, have decided to use Amazon to shape the NFL game strategy. Uh, so they'll be using apparently the machine learning and AI and a combination of the NFL next-gen stats with their own internal data for a data warehouse uh, to identify new ways to beat the competition. And they plan to leverage uh, recognition to identify and track opposing players and give its coaches better understanding of their opponent's strategies. So as a Seahawks fan, I am super jazzed. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm super jealous. I, I've been actually trying totally unsuccessfully to get a hold of someone um, at the 49ers to see if we could help them do something similar. And uh, yeah, so if any of uh, any, uh, any uh, Niner employees are listening to this podcast, please call Foghorn and if they didn't turn off the podcast and discuss after they found out I was a Seahawks fan. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. I mean, I wonder if you could ever get to a place where you could have a, a, a machine learning system sort of live coach players into tactics during a game. So many ideas in this. Oh, area. yeah. That will not bore our listeners, but. Oh, I'm, I, I imagine there's amazing things you can do with statistics and with machine learning and AI and, you know, look at different play strategies. I'm sure there's really cool stuff, but the, the problem is that the computer probably has more in, journey, in you know, creativity than the players can actually execute. Yeah, but imagine that, you know, you've got cameras, cameras on the entire field. You, you, the, yeah. uh, the, the machine could actually spot the beginning of a play and, and radio to the other team to say, hey, they're about to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. And I imagine there'll be new rules sometime in the NFL and other leagues about how you can use machine learning or AI as competitive or not competitive. Yeah. Well, whatever those rules are, I'm sure the Patriots will break them. Oh, I'm sure. Yes. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you model the teams with something like this, though, you don't even need the, the people anymore. You can just do uh, artificial games, you know, in VR. <laughs> what was, there was a movie um, with Hugh Jackman, and it was robot fighting, and that was oh, kind yeah. of the whole thing. And uh, it, was, it was a great movie, but it was an interesting concept. Real steel. Oh, it's real steel. Yeah. But it was almost exactly like BattleBots. If yeah. you've ever watched that. Just way I love, more I love, impressive than BattleBots. Yeah, way more impressive. <laughs> well, I guess uh, VR would be uh, a lot safer for the players. Yeah, really. Yeah, it would definitely uh, avoid the next issue. So the NFL has apparently partnered with Amazon as well for their data-driven player safety initiative. Uh, apparently, they currently employ about 17 employees that look over 100,000 helmet impacts manually. And so they said there must be a better way. Well, I guess there is. Uh, and that's where Amazon Services is not going to be using recognition to help the NFL with their AI, ML, and computer vision. Uh, they'll be able to create a digital athlete. They'll be able to uh, stream and analyze hits and how they impact the player. And then with those models of the player, they can determine based on physical as you know, attributes which uh, risk factors are different for each player. And so if they see a hit that is particularly in a, a risk factor for that virtual player, they can then maybe take a different action on the field to protect that player. So. There's some really cool ideas uh, that they're going to be playing with with Amazon's help, and I think that's really cool. Um, there's a quote here from uh, their lead uh, doctor. Uh, we have so much data that we're able to create an evaluation of what's happening to the players and what they're experiencing. By having that, we can come up with something called the digital athlete, which is essentially a virtual representation. Through that virtual representation, we start to understand how any of these factors influence the dimensions of performance and injury. So uh, NFL's uh, getting pretty big into the AWS space. Uh, which is interesting because there's all those Surface tablets on the sidelines from <laughs> yeah, Microsoft really. sponsorship. So uh, a little bit interesting there. Do, do you remember when that first happened? They did that huge sponsorship and the announcers kept mistakenly calling them iPads? Yes, yes. <laughs> and it, it was a problem for quite a while. Yeah. And then the very first time a player got angry and threw his Surface down and shattered it, that was headline news. <laughs> it was uh, anyways, uh, Andy Jassy uh, had an interview around how he plans to compete uh, in the multi-cloud space. 
the interview laid out why he thinks Amazon is better positioned thanks to its own unmatched experience running cloud services at a very large scale, which this is actually my biggest argument for why Amazon is way far ahead of everyone else. Uh, Andy also points out that customers are confused about relative growth rates, pointing to the fact that Amazon is the only one who breaks out pure Amazon revenue cost and cost versus the competition, which are particularly blended. And he pointed out to a large number of customers that have all gone all in on AWS uh, and Contember continues to grow every year. Uh, and he highlights the complexity of making developers make the shift from on-premise to cloud and complicate it further with multi-cloud. Um, so really interesting article, great takes. Uh, and you can get into the mind of Andy about what he thinks about multi-cloud. Exactly. The way we're going to compete in multi-cloud is to tell everybody not to do multi-cloud. <laughs> well, if you, pretend it does, if you pretend it doesn't exist, that solves a lot of problems. <laughs> yeah. Well, the thing I like about, about Outpost, though, is that it's, it's on-prem, but it's still the same API, it's still the same services that, that you can get in any other availability zone, whereas uh, nobody else really has that. Yeah, I love That's... all of the things he says. It's just all of them point to single cloud. Yeah. 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 I mean, there, so. there are some uh, Azure stack and things like that allow you to kind of run um, a smaller version of Azure on-premise, but they're not quite the same API. So I, I agree with you, Jonathan. They're not the same, but there are similar technologies. Hey, everyone. Jonathan here. I just wanted to take a minute to thank the cloud consulting gurus at Foghorn for helping make the cloud pod possible. These folks truly get it. Cloud consulting experts since 2008, they are premier tier partners with AWS, Google Cloud Platform Silver, and Microsoft Azure partners. From multi-cloud to containers to moving full production workloads to the cloud under the tightest compliance, Foghorn's team of full-stack cloud engineers have been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt, and are ready to share their experience with you. If you're in the market for some talent to supplement your team, visit www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. www.fogops.io slash the cloud pod. Foghorn, the promise of cloud delivered. Well, during a reInvent, uh, there was a hackathon. And that hackathon, uh, the winning team made a key contribution to the Game Changer charity. Uh, Game Changer is a nonprofit charity that helps uh, children uh, with critical illnesses who they play video games on Twitch. And as they play those video games, you donate money to them to help for care and, and all kinds of things. Uh, and one of the winning members of the team is here to talk about uh, how he won the hackathon. And that is, of course, Jonathan. <laughs> so, Jonathan, why don't you tell us more uh, if I didn't butcher that too badly? Uh, this is your win last year at the hackathon. So, congrats to you and the team. And also, Peter and the Foghorn team, I think you guys are involved as well. Yeah. Uh, Peter, were you on the team or was it just uh, Matt who was on the team? I was not on the team this year. I was on the team the previous year, but not That's right, for the this previous win. year. So, so Matt Cohen, who's on the, been on the show in the past, uh, was on the team as well. Jonathan, why don't you tell us about it? Yeah, it was a really interesting hackathon. It was, it was the third one that I've, I've done. And uh, we kind of went there with a, with, with a view on winning. And so we had a, our strategy planned out from the start. We had a team of uh, five, I think. Let me count them. There's Anthony, myself, Tamil, Matt, and uh, Taylor. Yeah, that's five. And uh, we, we sort of divided up the roles uh, one was going to work on the demo for most of the day. One was going to work on cool stuff, which, which, which is going to be our edge over everybody else who was working on just the, the regular project. And the project itself wasn't particularly interesting, but it's one that we thought we could we could win at, which was to actually build a kind of a test harness to load test what, what they built for the Twitch uh, integration. And what they were going to do is, uh, whenever somebody clicked on screen to to make a donation, they would they would stream that to all the all the Twitch screens. So you kind of get like a scrolling of people's names um, and the amounts they donated. And so we we kind of knocked that out fairly quickly, and it left us the rest of the day to kind of work on the on the cool thing, which was this mosaic. I, I kind of came up with the idea 
slightly accidentally to sort of take the images of all the Twitch users who were making donations and kind of piece them together into a mosaic. And originally the mosaic was just going to be pictures of the people because everyone likes to see themselves, everyone wants to be famous. And, um, and then I, I was kind of Googling around and I found a, um, a Python library which would actually turn the thumbnails of people into a different image. And so the more, the more donations you got, the smaller each image would get and you kind of fill out the entire logo of the campaign or something like that. So yeah, that's, that's, that's what we built. We, we kind of struggled a little bit. Um, you know, we all had Macs and we needed to compile some of these uh, graphic libraries to upload to Lambda and that was a bit of a struggle. In the end, we kind of pivoted away from Lambda and we, we used uh, ECS instead. But yeah, it was all in all, it was, it was a really good experience. I've got to say, I'm so happy to actually see something come out of a hackathon and actually be usable and actually go into production. So I'm kind of excited. Yeah, about that was, that's actually one of the really yeah, cool things because awesome. the, they've been doing this hackathon every year of reInvent. You know, they've always been really good ideas. Um, nothing's ever made it to production. And, and it was cool that they took this idea you guys came up with it and they, they brought in some uh, interns from one of the local universities and they kind of fleshed it out and, and really finished it. Um, and, and that launched at reInvent, which is really awesome. And I, I donated a little bit of money. I, you know, it was cool. It's a cool concept, cool idea. You know, always good to give back. So Yeah. Uh, Game Changer Charity, check it out on Twitch if you, uh, if you watch games. Yeah, so it's, it, they actually provide a, an integration that you can add to your Twitch tra- channel, which pops up the donation buttons at the bottom of the uh, at the bottom of the screen to make it easy for your viewers to donate. Well, nice job, Jonathan. Congrats to you and the team last year. Yeah, thanks. We decided not to compete this year. We didn't want to, you know, win three years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> Someday you'll have to tell us your secrets to winning a hackathon. So. We will. We'll do it. I think we should do an episode on uh, how to win a hackathon. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, being the market leader in the space, uh, Amazon occasionally gets a little bit of abuse. <laughs> and uh, in this time and age, you know, the abuse typically comes from President Trump. Uh, but this time, the, uh, the breach came from uh, the friends at the New York Times. Uh, they wrote a lovely hit piece on Amazon where they accused Amazon of strip mining open source uh, for their competitive game. Uh, they highlighted the ongoing lawsuit between Elastic and the trademark of Elasticsearch. Uh, and one of the funny parts of the article is the, uh, the New York style guide requires that any abbreviation has a period uh, between each letter. So all of the AWS marks were A period, AW, uh, W oh. period, S period throughout the entire article, which is just very off-putting right. as you read through this. Uh, so that's a, that's a little bit of a fun poke at the uh, that process. But... Uh, you know, this increased fueled scrutiny of Amazon and whether it's abusing its market dominance uh, is engaging in a competitive power. And apparently there were seven CEOs of prominent open source software companies that met and discussed the idea of bringing an antitrust lawsuit against the giant. Uh, but they did, said they did not proceed because they felt it would take too long. Uh, the reality is they just didn't have the money to do it, <laughs> is my guess. Yeah, most likely. Because <laughs> that would be a very long, uh, very lengthy thing. And so now they're kind of waiting on the DOD uh, to kind of come in and maybe do its own investigation. There's some interesting quotes here in the article. Uh, Maria DV said, uh, Amazon uh, Web Services' success is built on strip mining open source technology. Uh, Michael Howard, the chief executive of MariaDB, said, he estimates that Amazon made five times more revenue from running MariaDB software than his company generated from all of its businesses. And then another engineer from Amazon, former engineer, uh, AWS engineer, said he indicated he built a product to aggregate logs uh, in a direct attack against Splunk, uh, and that the... You know, Splunk actually saw a preview of it before it was announced and requested that it not be shown on main stage, uh, but you know was not happy about the announcement. And then uh, Redis Labs, a, a VP of marketing, a former VP of marketing, Lena Joshi said, it was a love-hate relationship. On one hand, most of our customers ran on AWS, so it was in our interest to be entirely integrated with them. At the same time, we knew they were taking away our business. Uh, of course, not everyone in this article took him as a threat. They did quote uh, Ali Goch, uh, Gojdi, 
the chief executive of Databricks, <laughs> a San Francisco startup, uses artificial intelligence to analyze data. Uh, he said that uh, he doesn't see them using shenanigans to stop them. Uh, which I wonder when they interviewed him. Oh, yeah. Was that, be I was, was that before the SageMaker announcement? It must have been before reInvent, <laughs> because after Sage, after the SageMaker stuff, I, I thought that was a direct attack against Databricks in a pretty big way. Mm. Uh, so that was a, a bit interesting. Uh, Amazon, of course, then uh, responded to this article. Um, you know, basically said it was a skewed and misleading perception, and the reporter, the story, the reporter had a story he wanted to tell and didn't let the facts get in the way of a story. Uh, and then they had three arguments against this. One was being that, first, Amazon has a large and vibrant, successful partner community. Uh, second, the story is already taken about OSS projects, and uh, you know their beliefs around OSS and that these are open source projects that you know you can do whatever you want to with them because uh, they're open source. Uh, they also then highlighted their contributions to several OSS projects, including Java and Chromium, Apache, Lucene, etc. And then thirdly, the audience uh, coming leaves with the crux of the issue with respect to uh, enterprise search or Elasticsearch and OSS. Uh, customers use open source because it's supposed to be open, available to run anywhere, and easily used on premises and in the cloud with whichever provider customers choose. Uh, so not the best argument back, but uh, I definitely agree with them. That it was a bit of a hit piece. <laughs> and there were several uh, several people who were interviewed apparently for the article. Uh, were talking on Twitter and said you know they were trying to explain to the, the reporter that there was a lot of things Amazon was doing to help open source, but that you know they just either were not quoted in the article or you know he, they only quoted the pieces that they said that were negative towards Amazon. So. You know, in this world of uh, apparently fake news against Amazon, <laughs> this is an interesting story. And it's not the first article in the New York Times, so I'm sure it won't be the last article that the New York Times have, have published, which are fairly anti-Amazon. Um, another one caught my eye recently, which was which was about um, they kind of claimed that uh, Ring had been hacked and people, you know, people's video were being exposed, and some some this hacker had uh, um, said creepy things to their kids or something like that. And that and that may be true, but it wasn't the hack of Ring. The the customer just lost their credentials; they're exposed in another breach. And then some, you know, somebody systematically scanned all the services they could think of with those credentials and found a Ring account. It doesn't mean Ring has been hacked. And I think the way it was presented by the New York Times was, was really uh, underhanded. Bloomberg had that article about the, the hardware that they said was compromised by the Chinese and never got retracted. And lots of very interesting hit pieces. And then it, it just sort of undermines their credibility. And then that's why other people can then undermine their credibility about other things that are actually real. <laughs> so it's, it's a little bit unfortunate that there was a bias in that article. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, got to find a new source that isn't biased nowadays. Good luck. Moving on to Azure. Uh, the first story for Azure is the, uh, well, and these guys are a little bit quiet while we're at reInvent. <laughs> There's a few news articles, but nothing that was earth shattering. But uh, first one is the multi protocol access to the data lake storage is now generally available. Uh, so this is, allows you to use the Blob Storage API or the Azure Data Lake uh, Storage API to access the same data in a single storage account. Uh, this allows you to store that data in one place and access it with any method you want to. So if integrations exist between the data lake for stream analytics, the IoT hub, the Azure event hubs, Azure data box, and logic apps, uh, all through the same user interface or different APIs, but all to the same data. And you can also tier data between hot and cool tiers. So I think it's actually a really interesting idea, um, something I would like to kind of see other providers make as well as, you know, why do I do any type of translation between different data format types? Just give me the different APIs that access the same data and do the transformation as I need it. And then yeah. I can use that application any way I want to. This is actually a pretty good feature. I'm, I'm kind of excited about this one. Yeah, I still can't put the use case in my head on how I'm going to use it or how we would use it, but uh, uh, it sounds intriguing. It seems very specific to, to Azure, though. If you've got your data in blob storage, then uh, this just seems to be kind of plugins for other services to, to get the data out from there. You know, they, they're doing the data transformation themselves, presumably. It doesn't seem like, or I'm missing something here. Maybe I'm missing. Maybe it is really just a rebranding of existing services. But it, I mean, I guess it's it's you're you're looking at it from the picture of like, well, this is just people accessing S3, 
um, and you know accessing the data, and any any service can go and do that. I think this is you know, at least the way I read the article and the way they describe the use cases is it's more you know you don't have to do data transformation. So if you need it as like a SQL query, you could write you could run a SQL query against it versus you could write you know an object fetch or metadata fetch object type thing. So that's how they kind of described it. But you might be right; it might be more just. They shouldn't have used the word storage. It's it's not a feature of data like storage. It's it's a it's um, integration services. Which is yeah. which is really good, and that's great because now you can pull the data from anywhere. Because we always said that storage on Azure was was overly complex. So this is this kind of goes some way to simplifying. You, you can put all your data in one place now, and and get it anywhere for, for any of the Azure services. So yeah, that's that's pretty neat. Their branding needs some uh, needs some work there. Azure Data Box. You put your data in the box. <laughs> you wrap the box for Christmas. It's how it works. Uh, you can now achieve operational excellence in the cloud with Azure's uh, advisor capabilities. They've added a new recommendation category called Operational Excellence, uh, which is a terrible name. <laughs> uh, this will help you apparently optimize your cloud process and workflow efficiency, resource manageability, and deployment practices. Some of the recommendations you might get from this include things like you should create an Azure Service Health Alert to be notified of Azure issues. Uh, you can design your storage accounts to prevent hitting the maximum subscription limits. Uh, you can ensure you have access to cloud experts at all times. Uh, you can repair invalid log alert rules, and you can follow the best practices for Azure policies, including tag management, geocompliance, and VM audits for managed disks. And after you read all that, you'll realize that this was just a filler article to make the noise and make some noise and reinvent. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a little silly. I, I think so. And uh, to be fair, it's it's not it's it's just trusted advisor for for Azure. Basically, only yeah. only five and a half years later than AWS implemented the same thing. So yeah. It's really interesting some of the articles that these guys dropped uh, during the event. <laughs> Just like we want our name to be out there, we don't want to be completely silent, but you know we're not going to announce anything that matters because we don't want to be totally ignored. And then the uh, final Azure story for this week is the new general availability of the proximity placement groups. Uh, we had talked about this previously on a show when it came out of beta, uh, and we have now made an editorial decision here at the CloudPod that we are going to uh, skip preview or beta releases of, of features unless they're really revolutionary, like. Uh, you know, the ARM chip, ARM chip processors or something like that. Or if it gets announced at, of course, a keynote at one of the main events. Uh, so we will cover these and they go GA from now on. Uh, because this went uh, this went beta about 60 days ago, roughly a month and a half ago. Uh, and so, you know, we just talked about this. And while they did add a few new features, which I'll cover here in a second, we felt, uh, you know, we don't feel like there's really a need to cover these same stories twice uh, in that short of a time frame. So we're, gonna, we're just going to move to when they go GA. We'll talk about them here on the show in the future. Uh, but because we already talked about this one, before the uh, editorial policy change, uh, we will cover this again. So <laughs> this is the ability to put resources near other resources to get better latency. Uh, it's a very interesting construct. Uh, and there are some very, very key HPC use cases that need that. Uh, they did have a few new features since they went to preview. Those include uh, is now fully supported in their portal. Uh, you can move existing resources to and from a proximity placement group uh, before you had to create them as part of the deployment. Uh, it now they support SAP HANA apps. And you can measure the virtual machine latency quickly and easily via their APIs. So I like that you can move things in and out of the group, though. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. Because Super neat. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I appreciate that EC2 is simpler by not live migrating VMs to new hardware, but it would be such a nice feature to to be able to um, you know not have to shut things down to to move them off bad hardware or to move them in and out of groups and things like this. This is uh, it's pretty cool. But again, I mean, I really can't think of a use case where latency of of you know, less than a millisecond is going to be critical too. The only ones I can think of are are typically going to be HPC related, and so yep. there's 
maybe in high speed uh, trading transaction computer systems, you want that. But that also requires you to be physically close to the stock exchange computers too. Right. So there's there's more complexity to that than just a data center. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, moving on to uh, Google, they were also not completely quiet during reInvent. Uh, they had a couple interesting announcements. The first one, uh, they added some new capabilities to their WAF. Uh, these new capabilities include geo-based access controls, uh, new pre-configured WAF rules, and a custom L layer 7 filtering policies using custom rules. Yay! Uh, yeah, so the custom rules allow you to create advanced match conditions to filter incoming traffic across attributes and parameters from level layer 3 to layer 7. The uh, geo-based rules are the normal things you see. Like, I want to restrict uh, you know, countries that we don't trust from accessing our systems uh, for regulatory compliance or copyright or, or other business need. And then the uh, pre-configured WAF rules are exactly what you expect them to be, which are uh, easy ways to block common OWASP and SQL injection type attacks. Uh, these, all these new alerts uh, raise themselves to the SEC console, which is the security console for Google. Uh, you can get real-time notifications on allowed traffic spikes and increasing deny ratios as well. Yeah, that's neat. I, I like the fact that you can uh, report on... Uh, things that you know, traffic that was denied. Yeah, and custom rules is almost a requirement for most more advanced workloads. Yeah, yeah. I must listen up. Layer seven filtering. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they have that you in know, their WAF too. But, yeah, they um, do. But they don't have. But all we got to do is turn their WAF upside down and inside out, and then we'll have layer seven egress filtering, <laughs> and then I will I will win in uh, that's in right. That's right. Yes. <laughs> soon, soon we'll get that. <laughs> Uh, the Stackdriver logging has a new integration with uh, Visual Studio Code. Uh, the new Cloud Code Logs Viewer plugin allows you to simplify and streamline the diagnostic process with three new features. Uh, first, of that integration uh, into VS Code, so you can see your logs and your output of logging uh, right IDE. Uh, new customizable log viewer uh, to deal structured data and colorize the output, uh, filter by severities, provide streaming capabilities and time zone conversions. And then they have several Kubernetes-specific filtering capabilities in that as well. Uh, including filtering on specific namespaces, deployments, pods, or containers. Uh, so those are pretty nice to bring it right to the IDE for you, so you don't have to leave the IDE at all uh, to debug your code. I'm going to have to suck it up and, and install Visual Studio now. Yes, Visual Studio Code's not bad. I know you're, uh, you're, you're opposed on principle to a Microsoft product. but uh, well, The nice thing is Visual Studio Code is free. You don't have to have a license. It's only if you want to use the big Visual Studio. No, I did, I did like Visual Studio. It's a good product. Yeah, Visual Studio is pretty good. Um, you know, I, I prefer it over Xcode. Most large organizations run six or even more monitoring tools. Each of them uses a mixture of data collection techniques from technology providers, open source communities, or custom integrations. And maintaining dozens of integrations across these tools can be a significant investment. Bloomadora introduces Bindplane, not another monitoring platform, but the industry's first monitoring integration as a service. Bindplane can gather data from over 150 technology data sources spanning your entire organization. Remove or reduce your reliance on expensive monitoring and SIM solutions by sending log data to Google Stackdriver, New Relic, or Azure Monitor. Check out the extensive list of integrations, all provided at no additional cost. Learn more and sign up for a free trial by visiting bloomadora.com cloudpod. The link's available in our show notes, and as a bonus for CloudPod listeners, Blue Medora are offering Google Compute Platform credits to help get you started. Buy and plane. Seamlessly stream hybrid cloud and on-premise metric and log data. Google has announced the general availability of Data Fusion, uh, which is the bridge data analytics. Uh, this is a new feature that allows you to ingest and integrate services that uh, a seasoned data engineer might need. Uh, so basically, I can sum this down to you as a very high-powered ETL capability. 
Google Cloud Platform is now a FedRAMP High authorized uh, for 17 products in five cloud regions, and they've also expanded their FedRAMP Moderate capability from six to 64 products in 17 cloud regions. Uh, so they continue to try to catch up to that Jedi contract. So when the lawsuits are all over, they can say, hey, we can compete now. Yeah. But there's still nothing that says that they can't do the exact same, even if they leave Azure the winner. There's nothing that says they can't do another single um, vendor process and hand it off to Google and do another one and hand it off to uh, AWS. And then they've committed $3 million total dollars mm-hmm. of their $10 billion budget. Yeah, it wasn't a single provider, and it wasn't guaranteed $10 billion either, was it? It's up to $10 billion, right? It's a minimum of $1 million. Yep. $1 million is what we're arguing about right now. And it costs way more than $1 million to get it settled in court. So actually, a, a well-named service, uh, Jonathan, for a change. The new storage transfer service for on-premise data. Uh, this is from Google. The transfer service is a managed solution that lets you move your data without needing to engineer your own custom software or invest in an off-the-shelf solution. Uh, and it works as simply as this. First, install and start the on-premises software, or the agent, and then go to the Cloud Console and submit directories to transfer to cloud storage. When transferring data, the service will parallelize your transfer across many agents and then coordinate these agents to transfer your data over a secure internet connection to cloud storage. Transfer service for on-premises data also features a fully self-service GUI and a detailed transfer log, so you can create, monitor, and manage transfer jobs with that confidence. This isn't one of their acquisitions, the data migration acquisitions, was it? It could be. They just rebranded it. That makes sense. <laughs> it doesn't seem very complicated, but I do I do appreciate that they named it properly. So, okay. Yeah, there's no doubting what that does. Yeah, I, I have 100% clarity of what the service does. I don't know that I need it, but I have 100% clarity. The big story of the week. Um, so apparently in 2018, Google management, uh, including Larry and Sergey, and uh, had a meeting where they discussed the uh, cloud computing business and the time being run by former CEO, Diane Green, uh, and they apparently considered the possibility of, of just exiting the cloud market altogether and ultimately decided that, no, that wasn't the right strategy and that they would make a valiant effort to get to number two by end of 2023. Uh, there apparently there was no comment made on what would happen if they didn't get to number two, uh, but you know, with Google's track record, uh, I'm not sure this is a good thing to get leaked out into the world in general <laughs> based on the fact that they kill most products that don't succeed. So if they consider not being number two or higher as, as a failure for the Google Cloud, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not so sure I'm eager to get there. But uh, they did not exactly say that would happen, but uh, it's definitely the sort of implied under the, under the covers commentary here is, you know, what happens in 2023 when they're number three still? Do they stop investing at the same level? Do they, do they take a different approach? You know, what, what happens? Or is that really the end of Thomas Curian's career at Google if they don't make it by 2023? Uh, lots of questions. Uh, really not an article they probably wanted to uh, get out to the world. I wonder if they did quit, what it would look like. Like, is it, is it just shutting it down or is it just spinning it off and selling it? I mean, either, I would assume they would try to sell it because that would make more sense for the customer base, but I wish they had sold Google Reader and they didn't do that either. So, <laughs> I, I kind of figured that the, the Google Cloud was so tightly integrated with their own um, their own data centers that it would be very hard for them to break it out and sell it. Maybe, yeah. I, I would imagine it's nearly impossible to do. Uh, it, yeah, but Canalis uh, was a research from a research from Canalis basically said uh, that the chances of it hitting the growth uh, to get to number two uh, is pretty difficult. <laughs> with Amazon already at 33% of the global cloud spend and Microsoft at 17%, uh, Google just has 7%. Uh, so they had to get 10% more market share in the next basically three years <laughs> to hit that target. So that's uh, pretty ambitious. 
And uh, the Canalis analyst firm said they didn't think it was possible. So we'll, we'll maybe find out what will happen in 2023. And, and hopefully we're not talking about Google Cloud selling it off to Verizon or some other horrible story. Google, of course, has uh, denied this report. Uh, they denied report considering quitting the cloud business. Uh, in their statement to Silicon Angle, they said, simply not accurate and linked to several blog posts detailing investments in cloud-related infrastructure and sales teams. Uh, and, of course, hiring a TK is a good move. Uh, and boosting enterprise confidence and aspirations. So uh, we will see in 2023, but uh, really a bad article for them. Uh, kind of a moment where they're getting a lot of adoption, a lot of traffic uh, for someone to even hint the idea that Google might exit the cloud business. And based on the track record and the, the perceptions of Google basically being a company that kills things, uh, it's really not a story you want to get out in the market. Yeah, so it doesn't do anything for confidence of the consumer. Yeah, they, yeah they, this is a disaster. They, they got to control this one and I mean, to the point where I wouldn't be surprised if customers are going to expect um, certain language in their in longer term commits to ensure that they are uh, mm. that they're going to be around. Yeah, I would. I would want it based after this, especially after this article. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the impact is to uh, business and stuff. But I did hear someone on C- on Twitter say that they know a CTO who, based on this article alone, just said, "Nope, we're not going to Google," and pivoted away. So, you know, they, they hadn't made their final decision yet, but this was just enough, enough of a spooking of the horse to say, nope, we're not doing it. So, yeah, I really hope it doesn't go that way. I hope, I mean, obviously there's going to be one person who makes a decision based on pretty much every single piece of information, whether or not it's valid. But uh, I really hope it doesn't slow down uh, Google's adoption and, and spook them off because I think they're doing some cool stuff from a uh, product innovation standpoint. Yeah, I, I definitely, I assume that even if they, even if they were to start changing their story on cloud, the you know Kubernetes is still going to exist. Like they're not going to stop investing in Kubernetes. They own. It, it's too easy for them to make Kubernetes basically be their enterprise play in so many different ways that I just don't see them you know getting out of the space completely. But if they did, they'll just double down on Kubernetes in some way and some some method that makes a lot of sense. So yeah. All right. Well, that's it for this week. Uh, we're going on to the final lightning round of the year. And uh, I don't know, Peter. This is your lightning round. So are we are we resetting after the new year, or is this we're going to continue the streak? Because right now I'm up by five, so I'm okay if we keep. I it just here. have to win five points to draw at the end of the year. Okay. Yeah, and and by rule, today's is worth six. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, the guests yeah, guests no. currently have five, so maybe I could uh, collaborate with the guests, or form a coalition with the guests, and uh, we'd be even. So this go. this is the deciding point. Yes. No, I think I think we should reset for next year to keep things interesting. And I think uh, um, we should still compete today just for today's. Uh, oh, I, for sure. Well, I mean, if we if we say that I already won, but we'll we'll give it a, you know an extra point here if you know, combine the guests and Jonathan together, then I'm okay with this. So no, 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 no. You, you won for the year, and Jonathan's shooting here for a little momentum going into next year. <laughs> there you go. He's uh, he's shooting for for bragging rights that he. Is only behind by four points, but you know, Jonathan kind of came on strong there. The later half of the year, I think he finally he finally clicked into the yeah. the process. Here. Yeah, I started reading so. the, uh, the the notes ahead of time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> key key to success on this one, my friend. Key to success. So, all right, right. we're gonna make the lightning round lightning. Here we go. Uh, Amazon SQS now supports one minute CloudWatch metrics. Too bad I can't see how much data I have in SQS for one minute. Ooh. Oh. <laughs> Finally, my wife can measure me. Oh. <laughs> it's efficient resolution. <laughs> oh, no. 
<laughs> I'm going to cut that out. Uh, no, don't cut it out. That is freaking brilliant. Alexa for business ads, end of meeting reminders, intelligent room release and meeting room utilization metrics. All the utilization should say is that there's too many meetings. That's the only number that matters. 55 additional AWS services achieve high trust CSF certification. Someone out there cares, just not me. <laughs> Whole industries care. Just not. I, I know. I just I don't work in healthcare right now. So uh, you know, a year, you know, five years ago, I would have cared a lot, but now I just I don't care today. It's a good job you're not still in that business. <laughs> it's been good, it's been a brutal good. couple of weeks. Uh, yeah, that business has been in trouble. Uh, so <laughs> that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> Attach multiple elastic inference accelerators to a single EC2 instance. Fantastic! More ways for the Bitcoin miners to screw up my bill. Ooh. Amazon EC2 Spot now provides instance launch notifications via Amazon CloudWatch events. I mean, I would hope that my spot market that is based on pricing would tell me, hey, I'm spinning up right now, so you would know when it's up or down. I guess, you know, five years after spot, it's a good good time to get that feature. I feel like I'm uh, on the losing streak right now. Actually, it's a really cool feature. I, th I think I've definitely CloudWatch events is becoming the, the hub of all things that, that happen in uh, that you may want to trigger something else from. So it's, it's pretty neat. It, it, was SN, it used to support um, SNS notifications, but nobody wants a SNS topic for all this stuff. Amazon Connect announces AWS CloudTrail support for APIs. I know there's a lot of people who love Connect. Uh, I just don't know enough about it. So I'm sure they're super excited. DNS resolution for EKS clusters using private endpoints now. So how did this work before? It didn't. That's the thing. Like it, it didn't. Yeah. Like, so if if I wanted to connect to <clears throat> a private endpoint for like S3, it wouldn't EKS wouldn't know what to do with no, it. No, no, no. It's all about it's, it's all about peered VPCs. If you wanted to connect to an endpoint in somebody else's VPC that you appeared with, there's no you had no no way before of resolving the the um, the address for the endpoint <laughs> because that that that's the magic DNS that happens um, within the VPC. So, but the EKS cluster is in the VPC, wouldn't it? This is spe oh, yeah account? specifically oh. for an EKS cluster in a, in a in a peered VPC, not your own. Again, they didn't they didn't have this. No, oh. yeah, I know. Isn't it amazing? You're... Jesus. <laughs> AWS Code Build now supports cross account resource sharing. Talk about a feature that should have been there too. Like, hey, I'm going to have a central build account where my code is, and then I maybe want to put the artifact somewhere else in someone else's S3 account. It seems like this one should have been there too. <laughs> AWS launches ML Embark program to help enterprises adopt machine learning. I actually heard more about Embark at reInvent. The Embark program has actually been written by most of the data scientist people at Amazon. Uh, and their videos and all that are by like their lead engineers on things like SageMaker and, and all of the tooling. So these these um, training courses that this Embark program uses are very, very high quality, uh, very you know from the horse's mouth, if you will. So it's a really great uh, set of learning stuff to help you on a journey to uh, learn machine learning. And speaking of machine learning, I just want to talk about our East Bay meetup that we had. I really enjoyed the presentation by uh, Shashank. Prasanna. Yeah. Amazing, amazing presentation on all the all things AI and ML uh, from AWS. So you think the Embark program was written by those engineers, but really the machine told them to do it. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> nice. Amazon FSX adds enhancements to the AWS Management Console. Specifically, you can now see CloudWatch metrics and add and update tags directly from the console. These FSX features are, just make me laugh so much. They're, they're the most ridiculous things. Like, we integrate with AD. Oh, oh really? Oh, thank you for that. I appreciate that. 
Now I can see metrics about how many file puts and writes I had. Oh, really? You didn't have that day one? Oh, thanks. Thank you so much, Amazon. I appreciate it. Amazon EC2 fleet now lets you preferentially use available capacity reservations. This is somebody who was really angry about a bill they got. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it said, you didn't use your available capacity reservation you paid for when you announced, when you launched your fleet. And so I bet this was a fix for somebody who was very upset. Yeah. <laughs> Amazon MQ introduces throughput optimized message brokers. Do I, am I going to get throughput optimized brokers for Kafka and Kinesis and all the other queuing capabilities, or is this only through MQ, which makes the comp, make it much more complicated to decide? Like, why isn't it always throughput optimized? Well, I, well, that was my question. As as compared to storage optimized, memory optimized, this is the um, very similar to what they did with step functions, where you you lose a bit of durability, but you get much better throughput. So I guess. Uh, mm. They're not sort of enforcing some consistency of something on the back end just so you get better throughput. AWS Security Hub integrates with Amazon Detective. Should have been should have been a launch feature. <laughs> AWS CloudFormation updates for Amazon API Gateway, Code Pipeline, S3, IAM, ECS, RDS, ES, and AWS Lambda, and even more. Amazon ES, huh? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, congratulations to the CloudFormation team, though. Only these are basically all the new CloudFormation updates you need for everything that was announced at AWS reInvent within like the first two weeks of them being announced. So really, really nicely done on the CloudFormation team. Kudos to you. There you go. Announcing ICD-10CM and RxNorm ontology linking for Amazon Comprehend Medical. Kazuntite. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm sure this is. I'm, I'm sure this is tied to like their partnerships they do with like Fred Hutchison and and some of the other cancer um, hospitals out there. Because I mean, this is the the names of some of these these cancer genes and sequences and drugs they use are very complicated uh, and very specific to ontology and to, and to those sort of things. So I, I imagine this is a very specific customer need and request that they want to use Comprehend in this way. So I, I mean, I think it's awesome. I will never use this feature, but you know, for people in that space, you know, this is awesome. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Good to it. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't know what ICD is, it's basically the big book of um, everything that could possibly go wrong with with a person. You know, there is a code for everything. If you've got a uh, scratch on your left knee, there's a code for that. If you've got a headache, there's a code for that. Um, and it gets very complicated. And and it used to be that that hospitals or insurance companies would what would hire teams of people who would basically memorize vast numbers of pages of, of codes and things so that when, when they read through the patient notes and, and uh, patients had a particular procedure done, they'd know how to code it for the record, basically. What this is going to allow is for a doctor to start talking about, you know, th thinking about um, doctors usually use uh, digital recording devices to sort of dictate letters and things. And so what this would do is let a transcription service listen to what the doctor is talking about or even listen to what a patient is talking about as far as their condition goes or the treatments that have been um, carried out. And it will spit out the relevant code instead of actually having to pass this through a, t a team of uh, clinical coders. That's, that's actually really cool. Yeah, it's, it's really neat. And I, I was always amazed working in, working in healthcare that, that people could remember codes I mean, they've worked in it for years, but they're driven by codes. But ICD releases updates regularly, and so uh, it's always very frustrating when, when they make a new book because all the codes change. <laughs> uh, 
Just like they add one, they did it alphabetically, and every time they add one, they move all the other ones down by one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I wonder if they'll eventually do this for the DSM-6 as well. That would make sense. That is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Health. Ah, that's right. That just grows and grows and grows on a year-by-year -year yes, basis. Yes, it does. But uh, I can see that being interesting as well to help them diagnose uh, mental conditions in patients as well. Yeah. So. All right, let's get, to, let's get out of the rat hole zone and back AWS to the AWS Elastic Beanstalk launches the Windows Web Application Migration Assistant. I mean, I thought that's what Beanstalk was. I mean, it's plugged into Visual Studio, and all .NET developers end up on Elastic Beanstalk typically. I thought it was a migration assistant. Windows, Windows Web Application, though. This is, this is getting rid of all those crappy IIS um, .NET apps. Hmm, is that what we're doing here? Yeah. Okay. Well, right, I'll, I'll and this that. is why people go to Azure. Because they run IIS, yes, yes, so this this is this is a good. Uh, well, they they go to Azure for that or for SQL Server. Yeah. Excellent. Amazon SES now enables you to configure DKIM using your own RSA key pair. Way to take a very simple service, let your security team make it more complicated, and now have to manage keys. Yeah, Great. there you go. Thank you. <laughs> All right, and the winner, the consolation prize, the toilet bowl, the unmeaning, the meaningless round, goes to the Minuteman. <laughs> nice. I, that's so unfair. That means I can't cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> awesome job, both of you, this year. That was super fun. It's been super fun. It has been very, very enjoyable. Well, everyone, have a uh, wonderful holiday. Uh, you probably get this between Christmas and New Year's. So Happy New Year to all of you. And we'll see you all in 2020 for our, our 2019 recap show. Uh, we'll talk about our predictions for 2019 that didn't come true. Uh, Jonathan Slack, uh, and we'll uh, we'll cover out uh, what we think is going to happen in 2020 in our first episode back. So we're super excited to do that as we kick off the year, the year in cloud. So thanks a lot, guys. Yep. Happy holidays. You. See you next year. See you next year. That is the week in cloud. Uh, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Foghorn Consulting and Blue Medora. Check out our website where you can join our newsletter, Slack team, send feedback, or ask questions at thecloudpod.net, or tweet us at the hashtag thecloudpod. See you guys next week.